When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, November 29th. Before we get into recapping this week's post-Thanksgiving action in the pro tennis world, I want to offer a quick schedule update for all of you Mini Break podcast listeners. Over the next two days here on this show, we're actually going to pivot away from this week's tour action. Now, we're still going to be covering the next-gen finals over on on our Great Shot podcast feed. So if you're not already, now's the time. Go subscribe to that show wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm going to be recapping each of the next two, three, four, however long the event carries on. I'll recap all the action over on that podcast feed. Damian Koos is actually going to be joining me tomorrow on that show. So be on the lookout for those podcasts. We'll talk challenger action there. WTA 125Ks as well. Again, our typical mini break podcast episode recapping the day's action. Those are going to be housed over on the Great Shot podcast feed the next few days. Why is that going to be the case? It's not because I'm trying to push all of you listeners to go to subscribe to that show as well. It's because here on this podcast, we're ready for our award shows. It's time to celebrate the 2023 ATP and WTA season. Name our players of the year. Name our newcomers of the year. Get into our fun, abstract categories as as well, we have a couple of fantastic guests joining us for those exercises, and those guests typically appear on this show. So, to keep it consistent for you listeners, again, we're going to have our award shows housed on this mini break podcast feed the next two days. Our next gen finals coverage, ATP Challenger, WT125K coverage, going to move on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. All of that is to say, yes, it's late November, December's on the horizon, maybe the holiday season, maybe things slowing down in the pro tennis world. Things are heating up here at Cracked Rackets. We're ready to pivot into off-season mode. We're ready to recap 2023, look ahead to the future, start talking 2024 college tennis season as well. A lot of fun podcasts on the horizon. I'm hoping to talk to some players as well, get that Cracked End Reviews podcast feed rocking and rolling. So rest assured, we've got content for you for the holiday season, whether you're on vacation, whether you're grinding few through, excuse me, the last few weeks of work. We got you covered here. We'll keep you entertained across our various podcast feed. As always, I'll ask, like, rate, subscribe, review, share not only this podcast, but all of our Cracked Racket shows with your tennis-loving friends. A thank you, as always, to the support on this podcast we get from our dear friends over at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of your tennis equipment needs. With that said, again, we've got post-thanks Giving tennis to enjoy this week. We've got the next gen finals. That's where I want to start today's show. I want to offer you an assortment of takes I have compiled 
from the first two days of play. I guess that's the word I'm going to go with here as we get into our next-gen coverage. Let's start with the man who has shined above the rest of the field. It takes five minutes of watching each match to realize, oh yeah, this is Arthur Fee's event to lose. And on Tuesday, yesterday's show, again, I recorded that on Monday, so my brain's a little bit scrambled. I'm back in Indianapolis at CRHQ, where I need to be for this home stretch of podcasting for all of you listeners. All of that is to say, catching up on all of this next-gen finals action If you listened to our podcast yesterday, you know I previewed the field. I compared this year's field to fields past. I also talked about the significance of winning this title. What guys like Tsitsipas, Hyun Chung, Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz all went on to do the subsequent season after winning this event. And as I alluded to yesterday, it just feels like this could be that crowning moment for Arthur Fee. Not that the next-gen finals is going to do this big boost for his rankings. Not that this next-gen finals even has that much significance given it's still pretty young in its existence and you know again look at the crowds I suppose at this event it's not as though it's drawing grand slam numbers still it's an opportunity for players all very young rising in their careers to compete against their fellow peers to prove that they are the young prospect you know a cut above the rest and again it's just watching Arthur Fee it's, it's been really difficult for the two opponents he's faced, Luca Nardi or Flavio Caboli, to really do any sort of damage and push him back in any sort of form or fashion. It just feels like he's been in control from start to finish in each of his matches. Again, two wins for him over the respective Italians, five sets over Nardi, three sets over Caboli. Now, it is worth reminding all of you listeners this next-gen ATP Finals, it's played with a little bit of a funky format. It's shorter sets. If you get to three all in the set, you play a breaker. That breaker is still first to seven win by two. It's no ad scoring though in the games, which means the deuce point is a deciding point. Now that no ad format is something we're very accustomed to here at Crack Rackets, given that is the format you see in the Division One men's and women's college tennis world, which we cover so closely. I love that sudden death point. I love how And I I had a college professor who always got really mad when you used the word unique incorrectly because, to quote Professor Bacon, yes, memorable name, fantastic author, fantastic journalist, one of the best, shout out John U. Bacon. If something's going to be unique, it has to be one of a kind, right? Otherwise, it's not unique. Otherwise, it's rare, but it's not unique. That was always his point, and I do think it's a good one to make. You don't have that sudden death in tennis in any other format than the no-ad format. Other than that, it's always win by two. And yes, you have to win the final point in every match to ultimately get over that finish line. But I like that sudden death nature of one point for the game, winner take all. It's very rare that a point has that sort of value. And again, it only exists in tennis. It is unique to the no-ad format. I enjoy that format. Now, of course, the physicality that is involved in a 12-deuce game, the drama that is involved in the time it takes during that 12-deuce game, so so frequently those games become pivotal stages in every match that's played. I understand the argument for the deuce format as well. I'm just saying at this point of the year, it's late November. It's not the worst thing in the world to experience a little bit of a change-up. I mean, the return winner Arthur Fee hit on the deuce point today to clinch the match was absolutely delightful. Again, Arthur Fee, 
I talked about this yesterday. His resume screams, I'm making a top 25 leap next year because he won one match at the Slams this season and he's up to 36 in the world. He made multiple tour level finals. He made a, he won his first tour level title, made a 500 level semifinal on clay as well. And, you know, again, he also made an indoor hard court final in Antwerp. It's very clear these courts in Saudi Arabia, slower indoor hard court, which gives him that much more time to get into his bigger forehand backswing, and when he has time to uncork in that ball, the pace, the action on that ball, it's just different than the rest of the field. Physically, getting in and out of corners, he did a really good job of absorbing, redirecting the pace of Luca Nardi in match number one. Nardi's got a nice forehand. We'll get to that Italian uh, in a little bit. But physically, just Nardi wasn't on the same planet as Arthur Fee. And again, Fee's just 19 years old and can already do a little bit of everything his serve is probably the biggest serve we have, and there are some big servers. You've got a Medvedevich, you've got a Stricker, you've got a Mickelson, and yet still Arthur Fee's serve stands out above the crowd. Again, the fluidity, how co- it's so difficult for his first two opponents to pressure him in any sort of way. And again, Flavio Caboli was just completely overwhelmed by the pace of everything Arthur Fee threw at him today. So Arthur Fee, 2-0, through to the semifinals. I will say this many times, I imagine, over the course of the next month. He is a guy you circle for a top 20 breakthrough next season. And if everything aligns next year, it's not going to be like an Alcaraz 2021 to 2022 leap. I just don't think the space at the top of the game is there for Fee the way it was for Alcaraz in that moment. Because for Fee to hit that tier, he'd have to go through an Alcaraz, a Sinner a Medvedev, even a Zverev. And I think Fee can start competing with those guys certainly as soon as next season. Can he beat those guys consistently the way Alcaraz was able to do so suddenly in 2022? I don't know if I'm all the way there with Arthur Fee, but I'm willing to have the conversation. And that speaks to, again, the season he has had, what you see and everything he can do on court. He's 2-0. He stood out above the rest of the crowd. The other 2-0 player thus far, you got to give a shout out to Hamad Medvedevich, who ended the season in a really strong fashion. Some of you may remember Medvedevich's run to the semifinals in Astana, where ultimately he was knocked out in a three-set, three-hour match by Sebi Korda. Now, he didn't end the season the best, struggled in a couple of ATP-level events, but Look, the 20-year-old, 110 in the world, he's got the size, he's got the weapons, and there's a poise about him as well. He's really embraced this atmosphere. Now, he's got his Davis Cup captain, Victor Troisky, sitting courtside for him. Always nice to see your federation show you support. But I'm just... It's how he moves at his size as well. There's a fluidity, excuse me, to the big man. He absorbs pace well. He redirects well. His match versus Mickelson on day one is probably my favorite match I saw thus far because talk about two guys who just have real weapons. And the difference between the two is Medvedevich is the more fluid player in and out of the corners. He was able to do a little bit more absorbing of the pace of Alex Mickelson than vice versa. He passes pretty well in his corners as well. Now, again, there's a lot to love about Alex Mickelson's game. The biggest knock on Alex Mickelson thus far is he is just not where he needs to be physically to dominate at this level. And yet, if you give him a half second, his, he's just so talented with his hands, does such a good job of taking the ball on the rise, pressuring you, moving forward. His volley's exceptional. Again, can crank the serve as well. It was a really fun match. Medvedevich is just the more physical player, and he's outside the top 100 now. He will make a top 100 debut next season. It's not it's not if, it's when. You know, when will he make that top 100 debut? I expect him to qualify for the Australian Open. 
he has impressed me, wins over Mickelson, and then today, his pace just overwhelmed the Van Asha forehand. There were too many times where Van Asha's got that heavy Western grip, just got deep into his body, he popped it up, you can't pop it up against Medvedevich. He can go down the line, he can go behind you, do all these different things, flatten it out as well. Again, Van Asha's backhand special, he's extraordinarily fluid, probably the best mover we have outside of Fee in this year's crowd. But again, I still don't know what the weapon is for him. He, it feels like he will always be a player who will be responding to what his opponent does. You know, he'll try to take away the thing you do best, but imposing his will, I, I just don't see the weapons are quite there yet for Von Asher for him to do that at a consistent top 50 level. Can't say the same about Medvedevich, who, again, 2-0 overall. I've leaked in some thoughts here about everyone thus far, but just to recap again, Fee, Medvedevich, 2-0 thus far, your 1-1 players, Von Asha, who got a win on day one over Abdullah Shelby. Shelby, also 1-1, as today he got a comfortable four-set win over Alex Mickelson. Now, Mickelson just didn't have his legs under him, but I'll tell you what, again, Abdullah Shelby, springy. Ball comes off the string strong, and his ability to manufacture that pace on the forehand wing, yeah, it's a little bit of a hitch the way he kind of gets under that forehand, but... Man, when you give him time to explode into it, he can flatten it out as well. It reminds me a lot of the Stricker forehand. You know, again, he can hit it inside out extraordinarily well. He's comfortable mixing in the drop shot when he has you locked in on his pace, or at least today against Mickelson, he mixed in the drop shot well. The backhand's very compact. Again, I think he absorbs pace better on that backhand wing than the forehand thus far. Hits the spots well on the serve. Again, physically, he's not where he needs to be to be a consistent top 100, let alone top 50 player, but the game is there. I mean, again, Shelby's one and one. He's got a chance to play for a spot, I suppose. He'll face Medvedevich. He beats Medvedevich. Now the group is open for him. If Van Asha can beat Mickelson, now they're all two and one. Now we can really have some fun, but he's not eliminated and he's the home wild card, uh, which again, it's, it's a good win for him over Mickelson. And, you know, for us college tennis fans, a little gator over potential Georgia athlete there. So I suppose a little SEC rivalry for all of you tuning in. Anyways, I'm not so, you know, again, Shelby losing that match one, uh, number one match to Von Asha. He just wasn't able to sustain his level long enough to deal with the physicality of Von Asha. And again, the more you progress up the top 100, the more physicality you have to deal with. But his weapons overwhelm Mickelson. So I suppose that's my Abdullah take. Already gave you the Von Asha. Already gave you the Mickelson. Stricker one and one. Beats Luca Nardi today, 1-1-2. One, one, His pace just overwhelmed the Italian. And with that in mind, I feel like I've talked a lot about Stricker. He's going to face Caboli with a spot uh, in the semifinals on the line as Caboli 1-1 one one as well. And that's where I want to start with my Italian breakdown here quickly. I told you I owed you a little bit more, and I'm going to do more on them with Damien Kust on tomorrow's Great Shot podcast episode. But I liked what I saw out of the 21-year-old Caboli, currently 100 exactly in the live rankings, reached a career high of 95 at the end of October, two challenger finals for him this year, one challenger title in Lisbon on clay. You watch a lot of tennis, and you can just tell sometimes there are athletes who stand out, even in a crowd of elite athletes. The fluidity, the power, the springiness of the Caboli forehand when he does have time to get into that playbook, his ability to slap a backhand through a court, cross court. Flavio Caboli has my attention. I got to do more watching of the 21-year-old, who again, top 100 debut this year. Mazel tov to him, my friend. That is, you are in the ball game now moving forward. 
I liked the athleticism I saw from him. I liked his ability to absorb the pace of the Stricker forehand with his backhand and, you know, use the topspin Stricker provided to flatten things out and be aggressive with that wing. Anytime, again, he could get Stricker uh, stretched into the outer thirds, he took advantage of doing so. And he's just got a set of wheels on him. Now, the forehand technique's a little weird, and Fee worked him here on day number two. But I want to see him take on... Oh, excuse me. He'll face Nardi, not not Fee. Stricker will face Fee. Uh, Kaboli already beat Stricker on day number one. So I guess it's on his racket. He beats Luca Nardi. Again, he is in the ballgame, certainly. As for Nardi, again, physically, I just don't think he is where he needs to be. Now, I like the 20-year-old's forehand. When he has time, he can crank that bad boy. You can hear it in the sound test. You can see it with the action on that ball. But he's just a little stiff in and out of his corners right now. And I like the serve. I don't love the serve. Again, he's 115 in the world. It's a new career high for him this year. 33 wins at the challenger level, three challenger finals, two challenger titles on hard courts. I like his forehand. I do. I like how compact the backhand is, even if it's not a weapon, but it's it's certainly better than just a placeholder. But again, physically, when Fee got him stretched, certainly when Stricker got him stretched today, just a little stiff in those corners, and you can't afford to be stiff in your corners against this elite competition. So again, matchups remaining. Arthur Fee, uh, 2-0. He'll take on Dom Stricker. Stricker needs a win to keep his semifinal hopes live. Or I suppose if Nardi beats Kaboli, then they're all 1-2. Then things do get pretty interesting. Uh, I suppose if you're Stricker, you at least have a four-set loss versus Kaboli's three. Anyways, that's group number one. Group number two, Von Asha, going to be facing Alex Mickelson. He needs a win to keep his hopes alive. Medvedevich going to be facing Shelby again. Uh, Medvedevich 2-0 so far in group play. That next-gen coverage pivoting over to the Great Shot podcast feed moving forward through the rest of the week. But obviously, it's one of my favorite events. Is It's just one of those opportunities. Snapshot. Who are the best prospects in the world? Yes, Alcaraz, Runa, Shelton, Musetti, they're all eligible. They all aren't playing, but I think we know what those guys are capable of. Here's your next wave of pro prospects. And again, I think Fee has the opportunity to be really special. I think the way Stricker, Mickelson strike the ball, it's just different than even a Medvedevich who hits the ball big, but I've seen that sort of pace before. The ease with which Stricker and Mickelson do it. Again, the fact that you just need that. You want them to get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. Those are the controllables that every young prospect you hope will improve on throughout their careers. And there are some there are some interesting cats in this crew. And it's worth keeping an eye on through the rest of the week. So, of course, we will do so over on the Great Shot Podcast feed. We'll also keep you up to date on this week's pro tennis action tour level, or I suppose 125Ks, ATP challengers. Let's start by offering you a look at our two WTA125Ks this week. Again, you can still fight for points at the end of the season. Ask Alicia Parks, who ripped off a massive win streak at the end of last year at a couple 125Ks, got herself in the top 100 mix. All of a sudden, she's in a tour level event in Lyon. She wins that event. She's catapulting herself towards the top 50. You can make pushes here down the season's home stretch. And again, not the most loaded draws. You look at the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. Your favorite right now in Buenos Aires is former top five junior in the world, Diane Perry. Now, of course, the French woman, currently 21 years old. She would probably be competing at a WTA one uh, WTA next-gen finals equivalent because you imagine Coco Goff probably pulls out of that event. I wonder if Chin Wen would play it. 
It would be a really – I've said this before, that the WTA doesn't have a next-gen finals equivalent as a crime. And for what it's worth, here's who could have played this year's event. Let's assume Goff doesn't because she won the U.S. Open. I think she's earned the right not to play it. Chinwen, Fernandez, Kostyuk, Noskova, Andriva, Avanesian, Osorio, Kruger. In. In on that group. That sounds like a blast to me. And again, Diane Perry just outside of that group. She's, you know – that that Diane Perry, who's number 94 in the world right now, would not have qualified for the next-gen finals speaks to how many talented young players there are right now on the WTA Tour. Anyways, a bunch of them in action this week in Buenos Aires. Diana Perry, one of them. Julia Riera, the 21-year-old Argentinian who came on strong this year. She's into the round of 16 as well. Again, right now, it is Perry, the favorite, 28.7. After that, Polona Herzog, 19.6. Elizabeth Mandelik, the talented young American. She She's 17.7. A couple of young Americans still alive in both Mandlick and Robin Montgomery, another former top junior in the world. Uh, she got a big win in round number one, three and four over second seeded Sarah Irani. So we'll keep our eye on that WTA 125K action in Buenos Aires. We'll watch Andorra as well. Draws opened up a little bit in Andorra. Top seed Christina Buxa knocked out in three sets round number one by the talented Swiss Celine Neff. Neff right now. She is, I think she's just over 21. Let's see, where's Celine Neff right now? No, 18 years old, not over 21, 139 in the world. It's a really good win uh, for Neff over top seed Christina Buxa in three sets. She got knocked out, unfortunately, in the round of 16, though, by Erica Andriva, who, again, yes, not quite as shiny results as her younger sister Mira, but for Andriva to be uh, where she is already in her career, just uh, 20. Uh, excuse me, 20. Good good math here, Alex. Don't worry. I'm I'm getting my act together, folks. I promise. But you look for uh, Erica Andreeva, 19 years old, 134 in the world. She is exactly where she wants to be heading into next season, into a quarterfinal here this week at the 125K in Andorra. Also still alive, looking for some points to end the season, Clara Tawson, who she's 84 in the world. She's getting into the Australian Open. We've seen her get a massive win there in the past. But Obviously has dealt with a lot of injuries over the last two years, looking for any sort of consistency, any sort of match toughness calluses she can build up. Uh, she's alive still in the round of 16 in Andorra, also still alive in Andorra. And outside of Tossin, you've got Diana Yastremska into the round of 16. Annalena Friedsam, who's currently 112 in the world. If she can win this 125K title this week, she will get herself up to number 104. Yastrzemska wins the title. She's back in the top 100, so certainly worth noting. Alize Cornet, who's fallen outside of the top 100. She's into the quarterfinals this week in Andorra. Those are the top-ranked players still remaining. You look according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. It's actually Anastasia Sevastova, wild card into the event this week, 18.7% favorite. Then Tossin and Riva, Alize Cornet right behind. So it's anyone's ball game at the 125K level. We'll keep our eyes on those events as the week continues to play out. There are four challengers on the ATP Tour this week. Uh, just to quickly run you through the favorites, Fabio Fonini looking for back-to-back challenger titles, looking to re-enter the top 100 to end the season. He's into the rounds of 16 in Maya. He'll take on Matteo Martino tomorrow. Top seed still alive in the Maya challenger as Nuno Borges earned a round one victory over Mohamed Safwat. You've also got second seeded Albert Ramos-Vinola still alive. In fact, each of the top six seeds at this event in Maya still alive 
have right now Fonini, 40.3% favorite according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. That's because his draw certainly has opened up. But guys like Benoit Paire, Elias Emer, and again, certainly Albert Ramos Vinolas, always a tough out at the, uh, in these conditions. That's a fun event. That's your most loaded draw at the challenger level. You've got Yasuke Watanuki also looking for back-to-back challenger titles. He's through to the round of 16 after a straight set win over Shimizu in round number one. He is currently the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, 37.8%. You've got Michael Moe into round number two. His draw has opened up. He's the second favorite, according to the singles forecast. Again, a big week for Michael Moe. If he can win the title this week, uh, he will be all the way back up to number 97 in the world back inside the top 100. So that's certainly another challenger. Again, Yakaichi, excuse me, challenger to keep an eye on this week. Other ones, you've got Mas Palomas, challenger top seed Pedro Martinez still alive. He's not the favorite. It's Philip Misalich at 34% in that, again, Mas Palomas challenger. And then last but certainly not least, in Tomoku, your top seed Thomas Martin, uh, Thomas Burrios Vera, excuse me, still alive. He'll take on former Baylor All-American Matthias Soto in round two, you've got a couple of All-Americans doing battle in Blaze Bicknell. I don't think he was an All-American, but he was a national champion at Florida. He's taken on former NCAA doubles champion Keegan Smith in round number two as well. All-American Val Vachero, Alex Kovacevic still alive in the bottom half of the draw right now. Your favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast, is Alexander Kovacevic, who with a win at this week's Challenger could work his way all the way up to number 108 in the live ranking. So that's what we've got cooking this week in the pro tennis world. Again, next-gen finals certainly have to be the focus, but hey, it's post-Thanksgiving tennis. Certainly, as fans, we'll take what we can get. And again, we know you tennis fans are curious. What happens moving forward? Well, rest assured, we got you covered. A lot of fun conversations on the horizon here at Crack Rackets. Award shows coming the next two days here on this podcast feed, so be on the lookout for that. You can hear more next-gen finals coverage over on the Great Shot podcast feed. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.